Uh, John chapter 12. Then, what do you make of Jesus? That's my question this evening. What do you make of Jesus? Was he a, a good man? Caught up in things that were beyond his control? Uh, was he a figment of somebody's imagination? Uh, and somebody just happened to get rich by writing a good book about him? Was he the son of God who came into the world to forgive sin? Who was he? John chapter 12, verses 37 to 41 is where my text is this evening. John records these words. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. I got three points, uh, simple points. Um, what they had seen, what they believed, or what they didn't believe really I suppose, uh, and what Isaiah saw. So point one, what they had seen. John says, though he had done so many signs among them. Now, what, what had these people seen that John was writing about? What, what had Jesus done amongst them? What had they actually seen with their own eyes and heard with their own ears? What are these so-called signs? Well, you, you know the narrative of the Gospels, don't you? Uh, in each of the Gospels, Jesus performs miracles. How many miracles does Jesus perform? The answer is many, isn't it? There are many miracles recorded in the Gospels that Jesus performs. John records a number in his Gospel. He doesn't record uh, a huge amount. He doesn't record all of them. But John has... Um, can't think of a word. He, he, he's got something in mind that he wants to present. He wants to give you enough evidence that if you read his book with an open mind then you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That, that's John's purpose. That's his aim in writing. John records in John chapter 2, Jesus turns water into wine. Yeah? The first miracle that Jesus does turns water into wine. And you know the story. Jesus is invited to a wedding with his disciples. His mother is there and his mother comes up to Jesus and she says, Jesus, they've run out of wine. Uh, and Jesus, at first, the first thing he says, it seems to be dismissive, doesn't it? What does this have to do with me, he says. And Mary goes to the servants. Uh, and she, she doesn't seem to understand it away, but we understand it. She goes to the servants and she says to them, do whatever he tells you. And Jesus says to the servants, go and fill the water jars full of water. Now, these are big jars, about, about that high. And they're used for the ceremonial washing. Go and fill them full of water. And once you fill them full of water... Scoop out some water, put it in the cup, take it to the master of ceremonies. And when the master of ceremonies tastes it, he says, this is the most marvelous wine I've tasted in, in, in your wedding. Why have you kept it until now? Jesus turns water into wine. In chapter 4, Jesus heals an official son. And, and this is a, a, an amazing miracle because a man comes to Jesus uh, and he's desperate. His son is dying. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, he says, come quickly. 
come to my house. My son is dying. If you come, you'll be able to heal him. And Jesus says to him, go, your son is well. Now, if I were that man, I wouldn't want to go. Yeah, I'd want to take Jesus with me. I, I'd drag him there if necessary. But I wouldn't have a faith to say, okay, fair enough, I'll do as you say. You know, I'd want him to go, I'd want him to touch my son. But this man turns and he goes and as he's on his way, his servants come to him and they say to him, your son is well. And he goes, what time? What time did he become well? And he finds out it's exactly the time when Jesus said, your son is well. Go back home to him. John chapter 5. John chapter 6. Jesus feeds 5,000 men, as well as women and children, with a few small loaves and, and a little bit of fish. A little boy's picnic. They're the crowd are following Jesus. They've listened to what he said, uh, and they want more, and they don't want to leave. And they follow him around the lake. Uh, and it gets towards evening, and Jesus says to the disciples, or sorry, the disciples say to Jesus, we need to send them away. It's late. They need to go home. And Jesus says, give them something to eat first. The disciples, give them something to eat. Where are we going to get that sort of money from to buy food for all of these people? But Jesus says to them, go, find out how much food we've got here. And then he breaks the bread, and he breaks the fishes, and he gives it to the disciples, and they give it out. And the people eat, and they're filled. And then he says to the disciples, go and collect up the waste, the bits left over. And they collect up 12 baskets of food. They collect up more food from the leftovers than they had to begin with. And Jesus goes up the mountain to pray. And his disciples start going across the water. And as they're going across the water in the middle of the night, Jesus walks over the water towards them uh, and joins them in the boat. And remember, these are all John's recollections of what he saw Jesus do uh, and of what he heard for himself with his own ears. What he saw with his own eyes, what he heard with his own ears. John chapter 9, the healing of a man born blind. A man is there and... No eyes. He's been born blind. His eyes have never worked. Uh, and Jesus comes to him. Uh, and he sends him to the pool of Siloam to go and wash. And the man goes. And he washes. And he comes back seeing. There's a problem. It's the Sabbath. And the Jews don't like it. Uh, and they say to the man, Who made you see? What happened? Who was it that did this to you? And he says, it's Jesus. Jesus did this to me. What do you make of Jesus? They say to him. Well, he must be from God, he says. He must be from God because he made, my, made me be able to see. Who has ever heard of somebody being born blind, being made able to see? Uh, and the Jews, they don't like it. And they throw him out. Uh, and then we come to the crescendo. The crescendo for John. The crescendo for John is Jesus being worshipped. And in chapter 9, we get to the end. Verses 35 to 38. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Uh, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. One more miracle 
that John records. One more miracle that John before he records the great miracle of Jesus raising from the dead. There is one more. Lazarus. Lazarus in chapter 11. Lazarus has been dead for four days and Jesus gets to the tomb. And he calls out all the people around. They come, they see Jesus, they follow Jesus. Jesus goes to the tomb and he stops and he stands and he calls out, Lazarus, he says, come out. When I was in Sunday school, I was told if he hadn't called the name Lazarus, everybody that was in the tomb would have had to come out. Yeah. So he calls, he says, Lazarus, come out, he says. Lazarus. And Lazarus, he comes out and he's still wrapped up in all the grave clothes. Four days later, no, all the graves uh, his sisters have said to Jesus don't open the tomb because he's smelling by now he started to decompose he's been in there too long but Lazarus comes out and they unwrap him now you would think this would be the crescendo of the gospels wouldn't you you would think raising a man from the dead a man who's been dead for four days with with loads of witnesses from the town surely this must be the crescendo but we're only halfway through John's gospel and John gives the rest of the gospel to what is going to be his crescendo to describing what Jesus is going to do for us and for him describing what Jesus is going to do on that cross Jesus is taken and hang on the cross for the sin of his people and then he rises from the dead because death could not hold him in the other Gospels, we have a number of other miracles that Jesus performed. John's Gospel is not the only one. He's not the only one that records the miracles. The others do as well. And John hasn't recorded everything. He hasn't recorded everything, but he knows. He tells us that. He says in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is why John is writing, so that we can be sure that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. How many other signs did Jesus do? John adds to what he has written, his last sentence in the Gospel, what he leaves us with. He says, John 21, verse 25, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. He says, Jesus did so many things, it's impossible for me to write them all down. It's impossible. But you've got enough evidence here to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. You've got enough evidence here to know that Jesus died for your sin on Calvary. You've got enough evidence here to know that by believing on him, you will not perish, but you will have everlasting life. Point two. John writes, they'd seen all of these amazing things. They'd seen people healed, the blind could see, the deaf could hear, the lame could walk, the dead were raised to life. All these amazing things you've seen. And yet, and yet, they still did not believe in him. What does it take to make people believe? What does it take? 
What are we to make of this? What are we to make of this statement? John is Jesus' disciple. Did he make it all up? John tells us that, that these miracles were not done in private. He says they were done with many people around. Many people were around and saw these miracles. The feeding of the 5,000, there were at least 5,000. I went there. Yeah, at, at uh, Lazarus' uh, raising from the dead, there, there would have been the crowd from Bethany, plus people that would have come from Jerusalem that knew them. They would have seen what was going on. There were many people around who saw what Jesus did, many people who heard what Jesus said. They saw it with their own eyes. They heard it with their own ears. John's gospel around when people that saw Jesus were still alive. John doesn't write hundreds of years later. John is writing when there are still people alive who could verify what he was writing. People could turn to them and they could say, John's written this. Are you sure he's right about this? Did you see this? And some of them will be able to say, I was there. I was there when this happened. Some of them will be able to say that. Some of them will be able to say, I saw it. What John is saying is right. I saw it. If I were writing a book that I wanted everyone to believe and everyone to follow, I think I would be more upbeat about the reaction to Jesus' miracles. You know, I, I read these miracles uh, and I think about them uh, and they are truly amazing, aren't they? Uh, and they must have been performed by somebody who was extraordinary. And yet John writes, he did all these things and people saw it and they still didn't believe in him. They still did not believe. The people saw the miracles and they did not believe. They knew Lazarus. They knew he was dead. They saw him placed in the tomb. You know, some of the people that were there actually put Lazarus in the tomb. Yeah, can, can, you, can you believe this? They actually put Lazarus in the tomb. And then when he comes out, it could well be true that it, John is, is very truthful here. He says, some, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary, had seen what he did. They believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So some of these people who were there when Lazarus was put in the tomb, they went to the Pharisees and said, you've got to get rid of this man. All the world is following him. You've got to get rid of him. What would it take for you to believe in Jesus? What would it take? What would it take for, for you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you could have life in his name? What would it take? There's a passage in Acts. Paul has been arrested and he's been held in prison for some time. Um, been held in prison by Felix. Felix is hoping to receive a bribe so that he can release Paul. Uh, but uh, Paul doesn't give him a bribe, so Paul stays in prison. Uh, and then uh, another governor takes over, uh, a man called Festus. And in, in the history books, Festus is described as being fair. Uh, and you don't get that with too many of the Roman governors, do you? But Festus is described as being fair. Uh, and he wants to give Paul a fair trial. He's not going to execute him or anything just because the Jews want him executed. He's going to give him a fair trial. So he calls the Jews together and he calls Paul and, you know, they, they have a, a discussion of an argument or a sort of a trial. And um, Festus is confused. He is really confused. 
Uh, and King Agrippa comes to visit Festus, uh, and Festus says to Agrippa, look, I, I got this chap Paul here, and he's in prison, and um, the Jews came and accused him of all sorts of things, and they won the death sentence, but it, it all seems to be about this bloke that they call Jesus. Uh, and all the people are saying that he's dead, and there's Paul saying that he's alive. How, how do I sort this out, he says to King Agrippa. I, I don't even know where to begin. And Paul speaks. Agrippa is interested. He says, I'd like to hear him. Because first-hand evidence is good, isn't it? Yeah, it's better than reading it from somebody else or hearing it from somebody else. First-hand evidence is good. Paul speaks, and he tells Festus and Agrippa that Jesus was crucified, and that on the third day, he rose from the dead, according to the scriptures. And then he says something else. Then he says, and then he appeared to me. Yeah, he met me. I met him. On the road to Damascus. And he sent me to preach to Gentiles, to open their eyes so that they might turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they might receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus. This is what he tells Agrippa and uh, Festus. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe in the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. I heard a man preach on this a long time ago. Uh, he said something along the lines of, here's Agrippa, he's given a chance to have his sins forgiven, he's given a chance to become a son of God, and he blows it. He blows it. Yeah? He turns it down. He walks away. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God this evening? Or are you going to blow the opportunity and leave the room without knowing that, without knowing, knowing Him who can give you life in, in all its abundance? What are you going to do? Point three, what Isaiah saw. Because he finishes with Isaiah. What Isaiah saw and what we can also see. John says, he writes about Isaiah, he saw his glory and spoke of him. Now, John is talking about Isaiah, and Isaiah lived a, a very long time before Jesus, around about 600 years before Jesus. Okay? Um, how could he have seen Jesus' glory? Because Isaiah is dead and gone, and his bones have turned to dust a long time ago. Isaiah was given a message from God, a message for the people of his time and for the people of Jesus' time and for us today. Do you know the Messiah? This is Handel's Messiah. Yeah, the, you know, the, the choral work. 
Yeah. I like Handel's Messiah. Uh, and there are a, a number of, of fantastic verses in there, aren't they? All about Jesus. And it says, um, some of them, Isaiah 40, verses 3 to 5, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Yeah, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. And the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A Messiah would come from God. Isaiah is telling us, a Messiah is going to come. He's going to be sent by God. The one God had promised from the beginning of time to put right what man had, had broken, what man had, had destroyed. One who would restore the relationship between God and man. One and could, who could put an end to mankind's iniquity. One who would reveal the glory of God. This is great, isn't it? Well, this is what the Jews are looking forward to. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God would come to be with us. Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. There are so many other verses we could quote, aren't there, from the Old Testament, particularly from Isaiah. Isaiah is expecting God to come to meet his people and to restore them. He is expecting God to come to forgive their sins and to live amongst them and to build his everlasting kingdom. What did Isaiah say would become of this Messiah who would come from God? Because Isaiah in that passage, it sounds glorious, doesn't it? It sounds as if Jesus is going to come or the Messiah is going to come and everything will be perfect. Yeah? Everybody will bow down to him. The kingdom will be restored. Everything will be fantastic and glorious and wonderful and amazing and brilliant and yet Isaiah says he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces he was despised and we esteemed him not this is the Messiah he's talking about this is Jesus speaking of his death Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. The Messiah would be killed, and yet he would bear the sin of many. Isaiah sees the same glory that John saw. You don't have to be there at the time to see Jesus with your own physical eyes, to see his glory. Isaiah saw Jesus' glory 600 years before Jesus was born. We can see Jesus' glory today, 2,000 years after he died. We can still see his glory because God can open our eyes so that we can see it when we read this wonderful book that he has given us.
Jesus was despised and rejected. God sent the Messiah into the world and the world didn't want him. It still doesn't want him today, does it? It doesn't want him. The question is, do you want him this evening? A man called Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. He came by night so that he wouldn't be seen by the Jews. Uh, and he asked Jesus some questions. Jesus told him, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God gave, God gave the world Jesus, so that if you believe in him, you will not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus continues his, his reply to Nicodemus in John 3.17. For God, did, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world may be saved through him. Here's a terrible thing. To deny and to ignore God is to condemn yourself to hell for all eternity. God sent Jesus to save you from the wrath of God. That's why he came, to save you from the wrath of God. So, what do you make of Jesus? A man and nothing more? The Son of God? God in the flesh? God in the flesh who can forgive your sins and who can make you whole and can make you right with God? You know, I believe this is the most important question in the world. What do you make of Jesus? Make sure you get the answer right because you're going to have to justify it before God one day.